Um, so if you have uh, your scriptures, I encourage you to turn there. Luke 12, 49 is where we're going to start. This is Jesus' words. And again, just to preface this, we're parachuting again into a conversation that's already happening. So uh, we'll come back to kind of give some context in a second. But let me just go ahead and, and read. This is just what Jesus says. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth. Would that it was already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, but how great is, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you rather a division. From now on, one, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer to put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is God's word. By the way, it, if it feels ominous, it, it should. This is not, this isn't fluffy Jesus type to speak. This is certainly not felt more Jesus type to speak. This is like Jesus getting upset. And so we need to kind of consider exactly what's happening in this passage um, before we actually get to what Jesus says. Because if we just take this on its, on its face, we feel like, oh my gosh, what, what is happening here? What, where did my, you know, kind Jesus go? Where did, where did Jesus that makes me happy and feel good about me go? Where did, you know, inclusive Jesus go? Well, he's still there, but there's some things that are going on here that we need to pay attention to. This is, uh, Jesus' words are actually the tail end of his greater uh, speech or his greater <coughs> teaching that he has been giving in Luke 12 um, that was dealing with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And as we know, the Pharisees were the religious elites of the time. Remember we talked about last week that uh, uh, these Pharisees are the ones that um, are trying to bring about the age of Messiah through strict adherence to Torah. They're, they're taking the Torah and they're taking all of God's word and they're saying, if we want to see peace in our times, we want to see Israel restored and we want to see Messiah come, the only way that it's going to happen is by strict obedience because by uh, the other opposite way of doing things ended up in exile. So now here we are. But as we talked about last week, the Pharisees were very good on the religious side of the house, but very bad when it came to caring for people. They, they uh, took the smaller aspects of uh, being Hebrew and did that very well. But all the larger things that concern God more are... Uh, they did very badly. And so Jesus calls them out in this passage here about what a real life looks like. What does real kingdom life look like? And remember, he goes in and he says, real kingdom life is fearless, meaning that we have complete and utter confidence in God who is there, who is for us, and who is graceful and good. And we can live our lives in full dependence upon him. God's people live fearless lives that are confident in the grace and goodness of God. Not in their obedience, but on what God does for us on his own because he loves us. 
Remember, we also looked at that God's people live alert lives that look for the work of God in their midst and in their future and then join God where he is or make plans to go where he is to do what he's called us to do. This is part of Jesus' larger teaching here of what it's not, of what the kingdom of God looks like in comparison to what the Pharisees were trying to do. But then Peter, being Peter, whom I love because he is the apostle of sticking your foot in the mouth, which I also appreciate because I have my PhD in sticking my own foot in my own mouth at, at certain times, says this in verse 41, Lord, are you telling us this parable for all of us or somebody else? He's trying to figure out, well, is this for me or for, for somebody else so I can pay attention and not fall asleep? So what Jesus does here is he's like, he continues. I love it. Jesus does this weird thing every once in a while. You've probably seen it in the scriptures. He'll teach, 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 and then someone will ask a question which everybody wants to know, and then Jesus seems to ignore the question and just keep on trucking. Like he's like, yeah, Peter, just don't say anything. It makes it worse. So here's what Jesus does. He says, faithful stewards, in contrast to the Pharisees, will care for God's people while Jesus is absent or on his way back. That's the parable that comes right before what we just read. He talks about this idea that the faithful stewards of God's house will care for the people in the house doing God's work. They'll give them their daily bread. They'll make sure they're fed. He says, but the opposite of that are people who just sit around and get drunk and get stupid and then you know neglect uh, the people in their house and neglect the servants. And then when the, the master comes back, the master really has to bring down the hammer. He has to bring it down on his servants and says, because you misrepresented it all that I did. And it's in that tone of the Jesus' uh, parable about uh, the, the people of God caring for the people of God, especially the, those that are in uh, leadership. He's saying, I've come to bring fire. I've come to bring this judgment. I've come to bring fire. I've come to bring division. I've come to bring my own baptism. And I've come to call you out on your inability to actually to tell what is actually happening in the time you were living in. Jesus says that... that um, he is bringing the light of God, otherwise known as the fire of God, to expose and burn away any hints of hypocrisy in the people of God. The message of grace and love is not very squishy, or is not squishy. We like to think of it as like a, a t-shirt or a bumper sticker that Jesus loves me, this I know. Great song, wonderful theology, but it's a lot harsher than we actually believe. It is a lot more exposing and a lot more difficult to deal with. We like the idea of a warm, fuzzy Jesus who brings us up and, and teaches from a nice rock under a shady tree in Israel. Jesus is saying that's still true, but I have to bring the hammer sometimes. I have to bring the fire. It is intense, it is revealing, and it is often uncomfortable. It is especially true for those who are in charge of, other, of taking care of the people of God. Pastors, ministers, teachers, those folks. Here, Jesus, I think, is referring to fire as representing, representative of judgment. It's not just for sin and rebellion, but it's also for those who already are following Jesus as Lord. It's meant to judge their actions and hearts of all people and reveal the intentions of the soul. Fire comes in. It says in John 1, it says that Jesus is the light of the world. and He comes and his light it shines on the hearts of men. And men didn't like that, so they scattered. They didn't want that. Fire represents judgment. But also fire in the Old Testament and in now, it also represents purification. This intense heat of God's judgment is meant to cause the impurities in our souls to rise to the surface so they can be removed and the metal refined. God has this idea that there's, the, like we're talking about that block of stone. Well, 
God's hammer comes down on it and it looks violent, but it's meant to bring out the thing that is inside there. In the same way, this intense heat of God's fire is meant to purify, purify the soul. It is meant to cause the impurities that are besieging us and bring them to the top so he can deal adequately with them and pull them off so what he is melting down will become something amazing. But it's the process that, that Jesus is talking about here that is intense and uncomfortable and we really don't like it. And the Pharisees and them hearing this at this moment do not like this. In a sense, the fire of God is taking this rebellious material of humanity and exposing it to his holiness so that the impurities and imperfections can be dealt with so that humanity can become a new people. So not only does the, the fire of God represent judgment, it represents purification, but it also represents presence. If we look back in Exodus, we find out that the pillar of fire goes before the people of God. It represents the presence of God with people. The pillar of fire in the desert for the Hebrews was a sign of God's presence. And here, fire, I think, demonstrates that God is with his people in the midst of the heat and the holiness. God is not some sort of, you know, capricious two-year-old out there with a divine magnifying glass intensifying the rays of the solar heat on people so that they can pop like popcorn. That's not God. God, in his holiness, actually envelops us with his presence. And while it is uncomfortable and, and intense, he is with us in the midst of that fire. God is not a mean divine being outside of the heat. Rather, he is in the midst of it with us. I think of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they defy Nebuchadnezzar in in the book of Daniel. God is not outside the heat, but he is in there with them. Remember, they go, oh my gosh, we see not three, but four guys. One who looks like the Son of Man. It's a pre-appearance of Jesus is in the midst of him. So God himself is the fire and he is in the fire and he is with us even though the fire is doing stuff to us. But Jesus adds, adds on. He says, not only I wish this fire was started, I wish this whole thing was, was kindled, but he says that I have this baptism that's coming that will actually kick this whole fire thing off. And Jesus is referring to his baptism as actually being the, the suffering that he'll do for the sins of the world. And Jesus says here, I am really, really, really distressed by the coming of, of uh, the fire or of the baptism, excuse me. Jesus is distressed by its coming and what it will entail of naturally, obviously. If you knew that you were about to face the worst thing ever, I have to go to the dentist, by the way, and, and that's kind of what this feels like. This is like, I have a baptism to go through <laughs> uh, in, uh, in September and uh, it, it's plaguing me until it's over. So maybe in a weird sense, that's what Jesus is like. I know what's coming. I know the intensity of the heat and the fire that I will have to face. In his sufferings, Jesus is going to experience God's judgment for sin, purification for humanity, and secure the presence of God for all people. But it will cost him his life, and the suffering for it will be nothing short of the wrath of God upon him. The white-hot, intense light that is meant to be purification for sin, all of that will fall upon Jesus in those moments on the cross for us. That brings the fire. But Jesus says something really odd here. We like to think that Jesus kind of is a, a, a collector of all humanity and brings us all together. But he says something very strange here and very disconcerting. He says, I've come not to bring peace, but bring division. And here's what I mean. I think he means by that. 
The cross of Christ will completely upend all of the known foundations of religion, economics, family structures uh, uh, that the world has built upon itself. The world has built up these things and says this is the best way life happens. And Jesus' death and resurrection for the sins of the world actually upends all of that and recreates it how it should have been. The Pharisees were built upon this family line dating back several hundred years before the birth of Christ. And the Jews had their own lineage to rely on as a foundation for their existence. And Jesus here says, when I die on the cross for the sins of humanity, that it's going to undo and recreate humanity in such a way that will provoke division. I remember when I became a Christian and I went and told my parents uh, uh, that I had become a Christian. It wasn't as if they said, oh, that's great. Congratulations. Did you get a t-shirt? No, it created a severe division in my family. And for years and years and years until I got older, it was a source of strife. In fact, we didn't bring up religion in my household because it, it caused so much strife. And I think it's remarkable here that Jesus is saying, when I come, and I do this thing, it's going to be uh, like uh, a stake driven into the ground, causing the ground to go this side, and you have to choose. It's like what Joshua said to the Israelites, choose this day whom you will serve. There is, there's either you do or you don't. Yes, it's very Yoda. It's very do or do not. There is no try, okay? So that's what's happening here. He says, I've come to bring division. If you want to be on the side of God, if you want to be in his camp, you want to be part of this resurrection life, that's this remaking of the world, you must choose. And it will cause division. There will no longer be a, uh, the, the, the false security of kinship, lineage, religious status, or bloodlines. Uh, they will no longer be the demarcation between the people of God. It will be those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And the peace will only be for those who are, have chosen Jesus. That's what he's saying. He says, yeah, I've come as the son of man, the son of peace, the prince of peace, right? But only for those who have chosen to follow Jesus. He's put a stake in the ground and said, you know, this is it. You're either with me or you're not. And then lastly, he comes, he comes to us and says here that it's coming. He says, you guys are great weather people. You get it. You look out and you go, it's going to be hot. You look out, it's going to rain. Yeah, we, we all do that. Most of us look on our app, you know, and sometimes we look at the AccuWeather and go, you're misnamed. You should not be called AccuWeather. You should be called a sort of AccuWeather <laughs> because it's not raining and you said there's 50% chance. So I think that it's going to rain. But anyways, what they're doing here, he's just saying, listen, you've got eyes to see and ears to hear and you can look out on the natural world and figure stuff out. But you have this deficiency of actually seeing what's right in front of you. Jesus' cross and resurrection is going to inaugurate the remaking of the world and include all the lost people in the in scope. And those who were formerly out of favor with God are being brought in and, and being brought to that decision point. Samaritans, Gentiles, etc., etc. And Jesus is saying, listen, these people are coming. Jews and Hebrews, I'm here for you, but I'm bringing with, you, with me a whole bunch of other people you don't like, and they're coming. Get ready, be prepared. You know how to read the weather and act appropriately, but you can't read what the signs of, of Jesus's are and what they're telling you. So, how does that work with us? Here we are, 2022. 
well over 2,000 years since the time Jesus probably said these words. So what do we do with this? How do we bring this, how do we bring Jesus' words into modern uh, uh, daily life? Here's what I'd say. Jesus' message and mission aims to reform humanity by way of his cross and resurrection. I think we all could agree with that. But he also expects his followers, you and I, the reformed community of humans, to be faithful stewards of those whom he redeems. Here's what I mean by that. Yes, we've all been in this room. We've all trusted Christ. We've all uh, have said, uh, I will follow you wherever you go. And I, I make you my Lord and my Savior. I receive your forgiveness. I live in your presence and your love. I allow you to, to reform me, that sort of thing. But what God is telling the Pharisees is what he's telling us. We need to avoid hypocrisy of the legalist and care for all the people that God brings into our church. The reason I can say this is that if you go backwards just a little bit in the story, he's talking about the faithful managers of God's uh, household, caring for those in God's household, whomever he brings in, whether it be, in this case, Gentiles, Samaritans, whether it be Romans, whether it be Europeans, Native Americans, uh, people from Africa, whatever. Uh, Everywhere, God has gone out and is gathering in all of his people into the household of God. And he is calling all those who care for those people to be faithful stewards of them as if we were representing Jesus himself. We cannot just be about uh, correct theology. We cannot just be about proper interpretation of the scriptures. We cannot just be about the things the Pharisees were really good at. We must be really, really good about loving people too. All people from all walks of life, from all choices, because they are on a, on a journey as well. They may not look like us from the beginning. They may not look like Jesus from the beginning, but we uh, didn't start that way either. We're all really rough around the edges at some point. Some of us are still there. Some of us still need to have bits and pieces knocked off. But what he's telling us here is that we don't, I don't want to have that fire of God's judgment come into my heart and say, I'm sorry, you're really good at the whole theology thing, but you really stink at loving people. You, you, you're good with mint, mint and giving mint and cumin and, and dill and all that kind of stuff, but you neglected the weightier things. I do not want to face that kind of judgment from God. So in this life, while we have breath, while today is today, let us be those who are uh, uh, avoiding that and love people. Because God's going to judge how well we treat those he's redeemed. God has changed uh, how we understand family. In other words, family is no longer just bloodlines or kinship. It is the family of all those who have been joined together by Jesus through his blood and through his resurrection. We must care for everyone at every stage in their walk with God, no matter what they look like, no matter how they are currently living. God is an artist, and he sees the final picture, and he's working on all people to get them there. This means that our church might eventually look a lot less like we do right now. We might look a little more colorful. We might look a little more uh, diverse. And I welcome that from all stages of, and walks of life. We might just start to look a lot more like our neighborhood, our city, this parking lot, the people at the Dutch Brothers. 
Jesus' sacrifice enables us to be more and more like Jesus through the power of sanctification. This is the second part. While we are all here stewarding one another, while we are all here caring for one another's needs prayerfully, prayerfully and uh, financially giving to one another and caring for each other's lawns and all that kind of cool stuff, Jesus' own sacrifice is enabling us to become more like him. We are formed by faith. When we increasingly depend upon the goodness of God, we become more like Jesus. We are formed by obedience to Jesus' command to love him, love God, and love our neighbor. We are formed by keeping an eye on where Jesus is at work and then positioning ourselves to respond appropriately. So we need to love our neighbor. We need to respond faithfully to Jesus and become more like him and allow his intense heat to make us better than we are today. And lastly, Jesus is God with us in the fire, as the fire. We ought to think about our trials and the bad things we go through as not so much bad things we're going through, but God's intensity with us in the midst of our trials. That God has not left us or abandoned us. I love that the the Hebrew uh, word Emmanuel, God with us. It gives us the sense that God has not ever abandoned us to the grave. He has not let us see decay. He has not let us go You know, it says in Romans that uh, uh, um, what shall separate us from the love of God? Neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor anything in this world can separate us or take us from God's hand. Jesus says, I am with you always. Jesus is with us in the fire as the fire and his light and heat and pressure are all signs of his presence with us in our trials. Is his very presence with us makes the things we go through bearable because it's he is with us in the midst of them. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because I have uh, you know uh, ninja stars and swords and stuff, and I can you know beat back the enemies with with clubs and stuff. No, I can fear no evil because God is with me. When the intensity of the black hole of my despair. Uh, squeezes me until I am nothing. God is there pressing outwards to keep me alive. He'll never leave us nor forsake us and nothing will ever take us out of his hand. So how do we respond to this? Well, three things, briefly. One, take care of one another. Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites. Yes, let's have good theology. Yes, let's study the scriptures like we do on Saturday mornings and we get into it and we just bat all these amazing ideas all around. Let's do that. Let's, let's get into God's word to make sure we're teaching the scriptures properly. Let's make sure that we understand what he's saying properly. But just as equally as important, let us take care of one another. Let us be good stewards of one another to make sure we have everything we need. You know, check in with one another. Do you have what you need this week? How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? And then when God allows an, uh, uh, strangers and, and, and aliens, that sort of, uh, not like space aliens, but you know, people outside of the sphere of our influence, whatever, to come into our orbits, let's care for them too. How can we care for you? How can we take care of you? How can we put aside all of our prejudices and fears and welcome you in in such a way that you feel the presence of God? Let's take care of one another and welcome all who profess Christ, regardless of their background. Secondly, Let's learn to submit to the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. My, my beautiful wife uh, the other day said to me, she's like, when uh, she, she called me out in a, in a most loving and gentle way about something that's been 
that I do, which is awful. It's just, it's not really awful. It's just one of those things. It's just one of those peccadillos that I've had forever and a day, and it becomes really annoying and, and just awful. But she had the she had the, the the bravery and the love to show me. She's like, hey, can you just not do this anymore? And do you have two choices? You can either go, no, I'm sorry, that's just that you need. No, I'm not changing. You change, or you can submit to that and go. You know, you're right. I need to change that. It's in that. It's in the context of that love that I have for my wife. She calls me out on a thing that needs to change so that our relationship is better. In the same way, God through His Spirit and through His Word actually calls us out to do things differently from time to time. Calls us out to go. Listen. I love you, but there's some stuff we need to work on. Instead of doing this, here's a better way. And we have a choice. We need to learn to submit to the heat and the fire and the intensity of God's judgment on our lives and allows his process to make us better than we are. And then lastly, we need to learn to interpret the signs of Christ at work and then join him where he is. This is harder than it looks. Yes, we have AccuWeather. We can check the weather and it comes up. But rarely do we have this sort of same sort of app that tells us where God is at work. What I mean by this is is that sometimes we need to be looking outwards going, where is it God at work at? Where am I seeing his grace and love and mercy uh, being presented? And how can we as a church, as a people, uh, position ourselves to be a part of that? That's not just a pastoral job. That's an every person job. So I rely on you guys to have your feelers out going, oh my gosh, I think God is moving over here. Not so much in a geographic location, but in a people or in a neighborhood. How can we be a part of that? So, questions, thoughts. Did anything puzzle you in when you read it this morning or this week when I suggested you read it? Did anything pop out and you go, oh my gosh, that doesn't make any sense at all? One thing that struck me when I was reading it 